I'm Jimmy Lewis, and on this special episode of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, we are going to talk about helmet safety. So I do a little bit of a deep dive with Jason Thomas, who is from Fly Racing. Of course, they have the Formula helmet, which I just started wearing, and it got me thinking again, which I'm always thinking about, helmet safety. And we talk about you know things you should consider when purchasing your next helmet, a lot of stuff about the standards, the materials, especially the evolution of materials and why now would be a really good time to be thinking about getting a new helmet. And on top of that, we do a little bit of uh, bench racing, talk about uh, the old days when uh, when I was at Dirt Rider, we tested uh, one of his race bikes. So uh, hope you enjoy this and support the show, reach out. And uh, if you have questions, if you have ideas on topics that you'd like us to talk about, um, give us a, a little note and support us. Uh, shop through Amazon, and we've got some real interesting stuff coming up in the near future. So with that, um, here's our interview. Okay, I'd like to bring uh, Jason Thomas on to the Tech Talk Taco Tuesday uh, podcast show. Uh, Jason is uh, with Fly. You are the, what, brand manager? Yeah, uh, brand manager and then media relations manager as well. Um, oh, so you have to deal with all of us donkeys. Right. To put it, <laughs> to put it bluntly, they just tell me to get out in front of whatever needs to be said. <laughs> That's okay, really well. what it comes down to. And so I have helmet safety questions. Uh, sure. And so th- this is the guy I turn to. And the reason I turn to Jason is because uh, of all the people I listen to um, on different podcasts and shows I've interacted with in this industry, people are very, very brand loyal. And I've heard Jason talk about helmets specifically because they have an awesome helmet in the in the, the the formula talk about all the technology but you talk about it honestly and then you guys just did something this year which i thought was really good is you took your premium stuff and put it into a lower price point helmet because typically the high end high end you know the the, the best stuff only stays in the, the high end thing so having done this test helmet safety test back at dirt rider back in the day. I know a lot about helmets, but a lot of stuff has changed and I wanted to learn, um, some new things. And the biggest thing I think since then has been a lot of the rotational stuff that's come into play. So how, what, what is it that you guys are doing and kind of explain that on that front? Yeah. So really going back seven or eight years ago, uh, this whole concept really started. And, uh, you know, I will give 60 a lot of credit because I think they forced the hand of everyone. Um, you know, they really took a giant step forward innovation and they proved that, uh, helmets could be better than simply a shell and some EPS and it could be taken to a new level. And and I think they were even pushed by the NFL and the concussion problems they had. So for us, we saw a definite need and, and a, a want to, to elevate our game. And then, you know, the, the tough question there is, well, how, you know, what technology is out there? It's, it's easy to identify a problem, but until you have some sort of technology or an answer to that problem, you're not really anywhere. So that set us off on uh, a mission to, you know, and, and it was very simple from our owners. The directive was to build the best and safest helmet the world has seen. And, and that sounds really grandiose i understand but that was that was what he asked right and there were no there were really no limits there were no restrictions uh it was i don't want to say a blank check because you always have to be mindful but it wasn't um you know and i want you to spend a hundred bucks right it was like no let's go build this thing let's take the next step as far as helmets go so that set us off on a quest uh talking to literally everyone you go to motorcycle shows you 
talk to anyone and everyone that'll listen. And, and you're really just trying to find out what's out there, what's on the horizon, what are, what are people working on uh, that maybe they don't even have the idea for an application into a helmet yet, but maybe we can bring that idea to them. And you're talking and, about at that at that point materials, correct? Materials yeah, yeah. Energy stuff. absorbing and, materials, um, anything supplemental that you can add to a helmet. Just what is being innovated worldwide to absorb energy? That that's what it really comes down to in a nutshell. Is a motorcycle crash or any type of impact like that, a bicycle crash, anything is you're absorbing energy, and how do you absorb it without transferring it to your body or your brain, and how do you disperse it? without having any sort of negative impact upon you. And that, that's the game, right? That's what we're all trying to accomplish, no matter what protection piece you're building. And of course, helmets being the most important of those. Uh, so we were fortunate enough to meet uh, a gentleman named Dr. Dan Plant at a trade show in England. And it just, it was kind of serendipity. The timing was right. He had just um, exited a couple of years before a, a project for the British uh, government and military. Uh, and this, with the same goal, they wanted to elevate their protection level on uh, whether being penetrated by bullets or, you know, IEDs and military theater, uh, anything that a bomb or a bullet would penetrate. They wanted to find something better than Kevlar. That was the goal. Like we need to take the next steps. We need to keep our, our people safer that are in harm's way. So he developed this material called armor gel at the time. This is what he called it back. You know, this is 2010 timeframe that he was developing this. And uh, so he develops that he there was a grant from the from the British government success. They they use it to this very day. It's it lines their bulletproof vests. It lines the bottom of their I don't want to say I, I don't think Humvee is the right word anymore, but their their vehicles they would take into military theater, right? And if something with a thought being if something explodes upward, they drive over it. It's going to help absorb that energy as it explodes up into the the belly of whatever vehicle it is. Same thing with a bulletproof vest is going to absorb that energy. And it's part of a of a layered system, so it's a it's a an intermediate layer. So for for that particular use, it was the primary source of protection. Uh, okay, I, I would bet I, I don't know for sure, but I would bet that they use it in conjunction with Kevlar somehow. But it was, in its purest sense, built to be a Kevlar replacement long term. That that's the goal for them. Um, so it was a success. Everything went great. He won tons of awards and, and you can see all that stuff on whether it's his personal website or Rion about all that history there. But for him deep down, he has always been a motorcycle mountain bike guy. He's an enthusiast, just, just like we are. Uh, so for him, it was like, okay, I created this amazing technology. How can I now transfer that into something that I actually like, you know, something that I'm actually yeah. passionate about. This was, this was work before, you know, this military exercise before was, was work. It was a means to an end of how to get the, the resources, the funding to develop this. But now it was his opportunity to really try to make a difference in not only his own personal safety, but apply it to a market that was desperate for something like this. And, you know, when we met with him, you know, you're trying to find out, well, is this, does this stuff work? Is it applicable? Can we make that transition to power sports? And then once we started doing some prelim preliminary testing, he started showing us his ideas of how this could be applied. It was kind of that eureka moment where, okay, now we're 2014, 2015, and we're still four years away from a finished product, but you see where this is going, right? Everybody that was involved on our end knew that we were onto something. We just had to be able to execute, get the application right. Um, and there, there's a lot of steps in there and a lot of 
a lot of fails along the way too, right? That's not going to work. That's not going to raise trial and error on every level for, for years. Um, but that was really the history of it is it was just the right timing of a technology that had nothing to do with power sports. But if you really saw it through, it could, it could and can be and will be applied moving forward uh, into all kinds of items. I mean, that you think about chest protectors, same things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certain yeah. kinds of bra- certain kinds of braces, protective sure. stuff. Yep. And it's I, not I, exclusive. It's not exclusive yeah. to helmets. Um, yeah. Think about other materials, D3O, um, the same kind of idea, right? They're all, we're all trying to accomplish the same goals. It's just finding appropriate ways to apply them that are going to keep people safer. Right. And so inside of that helmet, what, what the, the Rion is doing is those are, those are besides the line, the, um, the soft liner, mm-hmm. um, those are the contact points essentially with your, with your skull. Right. So inside so, the helmet, yeah, you have these, um, these Rion energy cells, right? So there are, I believe seven inside the, just in, below the liner of the helmet that are embedded into the Conehead EPS system, uh, of the carbon formula has Conehead EPS. So the, the beauty of Rion when it really comes down to it is ultra lightweight, which is incredible, right? That's how we get such a lightweight helmet. Uh, the, you know, the carbon that's just to your left there is 2.79 pounds. It's incredibly light, especially when you factor in that it has to pass DOT, uh, which we, so we have to reinforce the chin bar and things there too. Yep. Um, but this, the magic really is, you know, for a helmet, you're trying to accomplish two goals. You're trying to, uh, slow down a, any sort of linear impact and absorb that energy. And then, of course, the rotational that we all learned, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, how critical that was, was to be able to disperse that rotational energy. You, so, you, you want it, you want it to rotate a certain amount. Sure. Correct. Yeah. Right. Well, you just want to be able to allow the energy to be deflected uh, instead of transferred into your brain. Right. So yep. the helmet and the energy, if you're if whether regardless of the system you're using, if the helmet or the material inside the helmet can slide and rotate a minute amount, that is going to absorb the energy. That's going to let that impact be shifted away from you and absorb in that, in that slide or movement, uh, which is the real material actually moves itself. Uh, instead of that, instead of your brain moving inside your skull, that that's in a big, in the, you know, most concise nutshell you can make, right. Is if the material moves and the helmet slides, Versus your brain sliding inside your skull, you're yep. accomplishing everything you'd want to. And so some of the other systems, like the 6D, has has a has some um, dampers, you know, rotational dampers in it. There's yep. MIPS that, mm-hmm. that is another uh, way of doing this. Um, right. And then and then and then like a helmet that doesn't have it, you would kind of hope that maybe the 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 liner would slide. You know, the 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 you know the soft material liner would slide inside there but when the, when you've got an impact the problem is when you've got an impact pressing on right. you know compressing it everything it doesn't allow it to to shift and slide and so i've seen some people put on a helmet that has like a mips in there and they go look it 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 does this and it's like well it's kind of supposed to do that maybe not mm-hmm. as easy as you know that and that's where fit comes into play quite right. a bit too correct so so and then you're combining Rion with the, like you said the conehead technology which is is a it's double density um EPS and kind of explain that you, you used it like in when you're talking about like a traffic cone. Yeah, so uh conehead is it's still the base material is EPS which is found in pretty much every helmet, you know, on earth. Um the EPS is widely considered the standard as far as energy absorbing material as a base. Uh but we um found this conehead material which is sourced out of Australia. 
Uh, and we, we were not involved in the development of Conehead. Uh, we don't really have a relationship with them other than we're a customer for building our helmets. But uh, what they found similar to a crumple zone in a car or similar to like a traffic cone, uh, if you use two different layers, especially in a crumple zone, and one is softer and one is denser, you know, if you have a softer outer layer, that's going to uh, really be beneficial and slower, lower speed impacts. So you have a softer outer shell that's going to absorb a softer impact, making that shell a little bit softer. But as that compresses and the energy is ramped up, as the crash gets uh, more violent and the impact level goes up, you want that to get stiffer. So it's absorbing more and more and more. So a harder impact, you're going to blow through that outer layer of the softer conehead EPS pretty quickly and get into uh, the denser layer as you kind of your final layer of protection before you get into the Rion. Um, the interesting thing about the cone has it has, uh, just like it would sound, cones of material drilled into. So it works just like a traffic cone would and, and uses that, uh, uses the physics there to slow that down even further. Uh, so it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, we have, you know, on our website and in our catalog, it really does a great job of diagramming all those things and the, and the forces at play. Uh, but we, we, you know, we tested both with and without Conehead and we saw, we saw benefit of using it. It did, uh, help, especially on the linear impact more than standard EPS did. Yeah. And when, when we did the test, the helmet test back at Dirt Rider back in the day, the helmet that performed the best and we, we couldn't figure out like why, cause you just looked inside of it. We weren't really cutting them in half yet, mm -hmm. looked inside of it. And, and it was like, it looked like almost every other helmet when we cut the helmets open to analyze, cause they did catastrophic, um, impacts on them and they had to they had to measure things and look at them when they cut it open it's like oh look at this and it was essentially they they kind of channeled the eps and they, they were real specific about how they how they did it it was right. just a brilliant uh it was a brilliant design and um it was it was the best performing helmet in the test and we the, we kind of equated that and like shortly after that it wasn't didn't take very long for that to get you know picked up on and and copied but what i think uh consumers have to understand is that like helmets are kind of one-time use items. In other words, if you if you have a good crash and you hit your head and, you know, it, it, the helmet does its job, it absorbs that impact, that EPS is crushing and it's no longer going to absorb to the same level that it did the first time. It's not going to be as effective. And so I think it comes down to kind of, you know, when we start talking about the price point, you know, when when you're, you know, if, if you're crashing in a $600 helmet every month and you need a new helmet, that can be very expensive. And so I think for a lot of people that gets to be a difficult, you know, question is like, well, do I spend $600 once and crash in it three times or should I be replacing a, you know, a $250 helmet on a, <laughs> a more uh, regular basis? Yeah, it's, it's really tough. Um, as you said, you know, EPS is not resilient, right? If, if you compress or compromise the EPS on your helmet, from our perspective and most helmet manufacturers that I've ever talked to, uh, that helmet is either needs to be replaced or refurbished or some combination of that. So it is challenging. Of course, we, we hate to see a customer that has just been kept safe by a helmet be, of course, they're going to be some level of bummed out because they have to buy a new helmet. Um, but yeah, that's just the unfortunate side of it. Um, you know, hopefully long-term a decade from now, who knows, maybe it's next year. We don't know, but if we could find some material that was resilient and would remain uncompromised after a serious impact that we could replace EPS with, we would, uh, there just simply hasn't been anything found as a base material that works better than EPS. 
Uh, and unfortunately, that is one of the the characteristics of it is it's a one time impact use. Mm-hmm. So I think there's I think just like anything else, it will evolve. We'll find something else that, you know, just I don't want to use a football helmet because I don't believe that football helmets are anywhere near as safe as motocross helmets. <laughs> but ideally, you could have a helmet that could take 20 impacts and still be uncompromised. That would be and great. We're, we're using- totally open to that. And the foot, football helmets, they're using some sort sort of like a kind of a memory foam and mm-hmm. a, and a, and, a, and there's some gels and stuff that they use inside right. of those. Yeah. So yeah. I, but I still, if, if you ask me point blank, uh, and, and I've really tried to study this, it's my job to, um, you know, what is the forefront of helmet technology on earth? I would say motocross is probably it. Uh, I don't see any other industry or sport. Uh, at all, whether it's, you can talk F1, you can talk MotoGP, you can talk whatever you want. No one is pushing the envelope on material use like motocross helmets are. And I think they'll catch up. I think all of these things will become mainstream and others. I know, um, Zenith football helmets as a partner with Rion now too. So they've Mm -hmm. jumped into this game too, because they've seen the benefits of it. And I think it's going to slowly trickle into these other sports, you know, there are other considerations, you know, a, a formula one crash, the, the speeds are so incredibly high that their helmets have a big, big need to be incredibly dense. They have to have super hard shells to withstand whatever potential impact could happen at 200 miles an hour. I, I understand that you could say the same for MotoGP. So I don't, I don't think there's always going to be a mirror effect there, but if you go look at the helmets that are in play in those, you don't see them really taking advantage of new age materials quite yet. And I don't know what the reason is for that. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think, I think cause their, 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 their impacts are pretty consistent. And then and we always say, I always say this, it's like, you tell me how you're going to crash, tell mm-hmm. me how you're going to crash. And I can tell you the best helmet and not right. necessarily like by brand, I would say, then you're, you're looking at a helmet. That's, you know, this, you know, this type of shell in this, you know, this type of, you know, foam. And, and the good thing is we're, everything seems to be getting a little bit better, but you know, when it starts coming down to cost, you're you, generally you're paying for, 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 of course, the technology, the implementation of technology comes with cost. That's one thing, but then you're, you're paying for, um, materials that are generally lighter weight and just have perform better, you know, cause the lower cost helmets, they have essentially plastic shells for lack of right. a better term. Sure. No, well, that's fair. It's, it's, it's lower cost. Well, in certain types of tests, those perform incredibly well, um, especially low speed. Yeah. Low yeah. speed crashes, uh, whether it's ABS or polycarbonate or whatever, you know, polymer that you're coming up with, um, low speed impacts do really well with really soft shells and that you're going to find inexpensive prices on those shells too. Yeah. And, and it's, and by soft, it's kind of, they also, there's certain ones that kind of bounce, you know, the really, the really, <laughs> right, low, right. And that's bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. And, 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 and that's bad, but it's, it's kind of, you know, and then, and then you get into the higher end stuff where it's the carbon and the, and the, and the matrix helmets and stuff like that, that tend to, they tend to have the ability to, to deflect to a certain point and then crush when they, when they need to. And, and I think a lot of times I always say, look at the standards that the helmets pass and maybe understand some of the standards. And I, for, for me by choice, I like to wear an ECE non DOT helmet. If I'm given the opportunity, uh, why it's generally the same as the DOT helmet, just a lot lighter. And maybe yeah. they don't have to reinforce want a little bit more flex there. Yeah, they 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 don't need to reinforce some parts that 
is not a consideration for me. Like right. a lot of times yeah. the DOT, the DOT tests are, are, you know, it's, it's for street accidents and stuff like that. Not, not dirt bike guys kind of, you know, falling over and crashing. And then, and then if I'm, you know, doing like higher speed stuff, then I start thinking, okay, I want, you know, something that's maybe a little bit, then I'd start looking more like maybe a Snell type rating on a helmet or mm-hmm. things like that. Then DOT comes more into play. So, and I, I notice even on like some of the, some of the helmets now on the, on the, the ECE and some of the, the, European ratings, they're actually putting the weight of the helmet with a plus or minus on the thing. And I, I think that might be so that there's not knockoffs or something you could actually test it yourself to see if it's the as far as the weight the goes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, and for from my um knowledge anyway, it's because when you're manufacturing, um they're you know, they're pouring helmets, right? So there's it to be within a specific range is the safe way to go about it because like the formula carbon that's next to you, it's 1290 grams. But if, you know, these are all individually built and it could be 1310 or it could be 1270 just because it's human error. Someone is actually building that helmet. So um, it's not something from our perspective, it's not a trademark side. It's more of just, there's still a human building this thing. And if it's five or 10 grams in either direction, that's right. Kind of what happens. Yeah, I know it's, it's, there's a, like I said, there's a plus and minus, but on like some of the other helmets that I've seen, they actually have like the, the, like I said, the weight and the range. And I, I, that might be a standard that they have to meet. I'm trying to look at one of these other ones. Yeah. And ours, I think ours may say that on, on the back as well. Yeah. I, there's typically, I did, yeah, I didn't see the stickers. Like we, we, we don't, they're not as strict over here as they are in Europe with helmets. That's for sure. <laughs> as far as like when you go through a scrutineering or something, yeah, and they're starting so. to check. So Check I have, a, and I don't know if you can see it, but this is the carbon composite version. So this one's 1,340 grams. On the back, it says uh, plus or minus uh, 50 grams. You can't really right. see it very well, but it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in there, in there. And are these are these uh, ECE certified? Uh, yes. Yes, ECE. Uh, we but, went away from Snell in, I want to say 2017, 2016, 2017. We went away from, from the Snell standard. Yep. And then, and then, so, so now you have a, a basically a $249 helmet that has all of the same stuff inside that. That one's called the formula uh, CP. CP CP and CP correct. stands for uh, carbon poly. So basically okay. it's, it's um, a lot of the, and we, we really went that direction because it's the benefits of the carbon helmet that we offer, but it's in a polycarbonate version. So, right. So this, it's essentially, it's a less expensive to produce shell. Correct. Is what, right. Was it, yeah. What it comes comes and, and really for us, this CP helmet was always in the plans. Uh, it was down the line, right? We needed to come out with a flagship piece, which was the formula, the first original formula. Uh, we were able to lower the price point with the carbon composite version, uh, with the CC, which came out uh, what last year. Yeah. Um, so this would be the second iteration of that, and then it, you know, this final version was really. In, a, in hopes of offering more safety to the masses. Um, because, you know, I, a big part of my job, I get out and I'm in dealerships and I'm talking to, of course, our customer, which is dealer, but then engaging real consumers in the store too. And, you know, I'm, I'm at every Supercross and outdoor and all these. So I, I get a lot of different opinions and perspectives and real life experiences from people. And it's really tough sometimes because I will talk to a mom or a dad or someone that has one child or of course, two, three, four kids that are racing, (laughs) they simply can't afford to buy, you know, even if it's the carbon composite version, you're at $489 retail. That's, you know, $2,000 
when you consider tax for four of them to that's, that's an, a hurdle that they can't get over in a lot of cases. Right. So they're having to, in their mind, compromise on safety because of cost. And that's not something we ever want. That's not the goal. Um, so this helmet was always in, in the works. It was always in the plans. And now hopefully we can lessen that compromise, right? If, even if you can just get it on your child as the race helmet or their primary helmet, and they have to have something else as a backup for us, we believe that at $250, it was manageable for most people. And it really opened the door for a lot of new customers that may have felt like they were excluded simply based on price. Because right. in the end, our goal is to keep people safer. We are a business. Yes, of course. But we believe it's our highest responsibility as a, as a helmet manufacturer is to keep people safe. You know, you can't build protection equipment as a brand and not take that responsibility very seriously. Otherwise, you need to exit that sector, in my opinion. So <laughs> yeah. um, we're really proud of that. Like, that was this is the formula is great. I, I'm extremely proud of every step that we've made with the formula. But this CP version may actually make me feel a little bit better inside because I know how many more people it's going to be able to reach than that premium piece ever was going to. Yeah. And, and I, and I've heard you talk about this and that's why that's like one of the things I know you're passionate about it and I'm the same way. It's like, Hey, you know, if you, if in, in a lot of just like learning about what the stuff is out there, cause a lot of people, they're more worried about the graphics on the side of the helmet, you know, right. they're worried about the graphics and the price. And then, and, and then it's like, it's like, it's like, and, really it's the, the stuff that's inside that's important. And 10 years ago, I would have agreed with them. I really would have, <laughs> um, the, the difference between a high end helmet and an entry level helmet within reason, right. Not the ones you were talking about that you could bounce off the ground. Right. But within reason was negligible. It really, really was. And it wasn't anybody's fault. They're just, the technology hadn't caught up yet. You know, yeah. if, if you didn't care about carbon and you didn't care about the replica graphic of your favorite rider, you could <laughs> jump down a couple hundred dollars and get pretty much the same level of safety and the same level of impact protection. That's just yeah. what the situation was. And thankfully, a decade later, that's not the situation at all. Yeah. And I mean, I remember, you know, there's companies like Arai that were just always just super pushing on the safety side of things. And and they, they, they had high level athletes and they did a lot of testing and, and, and they had people there that really knew what was up. And so you had that. And then, uh, I was wearing Biafi helmets. Mm -hmm. I wore a Biafi <laughs> in, in the year 2000. I got, I there's, some, there's, 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 there's some hanging up there. I had to get them painted yeah. so they didn't look like you had a, a, a canteen visor. Or whatever <laughs> right. the heck they were. But the reason I started wearing those helmets is I was doing a photo shoot on ATV, on quads of all things. We hooked wheels. I got torpedoed up in the air and came down and landed on my head. Photographer, of course, got a photo of it. And the whole time I swore <laughs> I did not. I didn't hit my head. I didn't hit my head. I didn't hit my head. And then he showed me the pictures of, you know, a week later when it got developed, right? Showing me pictures yep. torpedoing my head into the ground. And I'm like, that's a good helmet. Cause I'd worn bells right. before. Mm -hmm. And, and it seems like I get, you know, goofy when I do stuff like this, when I hit my head on the ground. And so I'm like, this is a good helmet. I wanted to start wearing it. So I've always had kind of a, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had an affection for understanding this and, and learning about it. And what prompted that whole dirt rider test was, um, another journalist kind of uh, going off the cuff and saying a inexpensive helmet was a pile of crap. And I had just recently crashed in that exact same helmet that a pretty good one that mm -hmm. he said was a pile of crap. And I'm like, no, that helmet did its job. I actually, you know, opened it up, took it apart, looked at the crushed EPS, looked at, you know, and it was a, I think it was a $149 helmet or something like okay. that at the time. And, uh, 
And there was a couple of brands that were kind of getting this raft of, you know, they're flooding the market with cheap stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I looked at it and it, it, it passed certain tests. I, I looked at it, it had the right kind of materials, which at the time was EPS. Yeah. The graphic was horrible and whatever. And, but I'm like, this helmet seemed, and it fit. And that was another thing that I, that I think kind of goes overlooked sometimes is how important, you know, fit of a helmet is. Yeah. Typically people wear them too lo- loose just yes. by You want by it as habit. tight as you can possibly stand it. Yeah, they 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 do it. They do a little too loose. But we we actually in that test, some of the side tests that we did was we put improper head forms inside of. So we put wrong size helmets on the the wrong you know the right side. How to put this? So put too small of a head inside of a helmet and then smashed sure. it like yep. like like you're supposed to. And you could take the best helmet that that did great at all the tests, and all of a sudden now it was ranking somewhere in the middle. Right. That simple yeah. of a thing would would change it and and everybody's like yeah i'm really concerned about safety and it's like then then learn about yeah. some of these other things so and i think it i think you said it right there is a lot of it is just people are not educated on this stuff and that's to be expected uh it, you know i think that it's gotten better i think the brands that are pushing the envelope are, are trying you know whether it's television commercials or literature that's out there we're trying to uh teach the reasons why you should be taking helmet safety seriously and they're the science behind it, which sometimes it's hard to get through. Even for me, you know, it's my job to study this stuff. It can get really tedious at times. And if I talk to, uh, you know, the physicist, Dr. Dan Plant, that designed all this stuff, I'm with him for about seven seconds. And then he is so far out in left field talking about, you know, the back end of this stuff and the physics behind it. I don't have the education or even the mental capacity to keep up with that. Um, but the basics are really what matters and they are, it is, I think that information is able to be transferred in a very simplistic way for a lot of people, but that's even still the biggest step for us now is getting the, just the most basic information that anyone, just a layman could understand. And if you can, if you can accomplish that, then I think, I really think you're doing something because for me being inside a dealership working, I hear it all the time and they don't even know that I work for fly at the time or whatever, but uh, a parts manager or someone in a dealership will step away and speak with a customer. And I'll hear the question of, Hey, you know, what's the most ex- inexpensive helmet you have? We just need something for our child to go ride in the backyard, whatever. And that stuff makes you cringe because you think about your head and how <laughs> critical it is and how potentially dangerous that is. I understand if you're like, okay, well, what's the best value? Is there anything that's giving me next level tech, but can still not break the bank? That's a fair question. And that's one yeah. I can respond really well to, but walking in and saying, and the, the worst is when it, what's the cheapest thing you got? And, and you hear that all the time and you're just like, no, 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 no. Like you want to just sit that person down. But again, that's just, they don't know why that that's right. the question is the why, yeah, it's, why it's, would it's, you spend more money? A lot of times it's, you know, I've heard this like, oh, that company's just trying to, you know, make money because they have the name or the whatever. And mm-hmm. I always look, I look a little bit past that and say, hey, what's inside of it? What's the technology? And yep. and, and that's sort of what I kind of, what I wanted to talk to you about, you know, just to kind of, you know, go over this because it is important. But, you know, fit, you know, fit is, fit was super important in our test. Weight, you know, the lighter the weight, that generally the better results. Those are two things that we could kind of see some correlation there wasn't a whole lot on price and this is the one thing i kind of kind of came back to price didn't determine how safe a helmet was going to be so that question 
is like, is like, what's the best value or what's the safest helmet is a really good question for you to be asking a dealership. Hopefully they, you know, or, you know, when you're doing your research online, trying to, to uncover that stuff, um, you know, and everybody's going to be kind of pushing their, their technologies. Uh, and I, I really don't know until I actually test a helmet myself, which is unfortunate that I do it every once in a while, <laughs> you know, you, right. you, you bump, you bump your heading around and you go, okay, this did or didn't work. And I really try to study, okay, what kind of a, was it a side blow? Was it a, a direct impact? You know, did I hit my head on a branch on a tree, you know, different during the, did somebody throw something at me and hit me in the head that happens a lot around here. Right. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yep. Shut up. You know, I should probably be wearing a helmet when I do this podcast half the time, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> right. anyways, so, well, Hey, I really want to uh, say thanks. I, I, I've just been, I've just been, this is the first one I've had. This is my wife's actually, it, it oh, kind of nice. came, this one came via uh, Johnny Campbell somehow the, cool. through, you know, who, who knows where our channels of, of my wife ended up with this helmet one day. And now this is the only one she wants to wear. Hey, bring my red helmet. I want the red helmet. You know? Yeah. So, well, I so, think we've been affiliated with Johnny for 15 years now or yeah, something crazy. Long, so who knows? Yeah. Long, long, long time. And, uh, and so I just got one and I did a photo shoot in it the other day and I said, Hey, this is, I've been wanting to wear one for a while. And I said, it's a good fitting helmet. It's light. The venting is, was surprising. I mean, yeah. I kind of, I kind of look at the vents cause I've done a lot of different, you know, wear all different kinds of stuff and this helmet and especially as, as hot as it is, I really did notice the venting. It was, it was good. Uh, and like, like I'd mentioned to you earlier, the only thing for me was off-road guy. I kind of want this, this visor to be a little bit longer. Or, you know, <laughs> right. I'm actually kind of, I'm kind of running it down in this, in this goon, you know, you, you, I'd get yelled at at the track if I had my visor <laughs> right. down where I want it. Cause I use it, you know, I get roosted. I have to duck a lot. So this kind of stuff uh, happens, but we all have our own in, uh, special needs, I guess they say. So, um, but thanks for coming. So, Hey, I got, I got a question for you just yeah. to off, off topic. Do you remember when we rode at dirt rider, we rode your one of your bikes, your race bikes after a national. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which bike it was. I do remember this. Was it, um, was it, it's, was it at Southwick or was it at, at, um, uh, mil no, it would have been, uh, gosh, I remember, but I don't remember which I, I do remember this happening, but it, I, I had 16 different years of bikes. <laughs> I can't remember yeah, which, which it was, bike it was. It was, it, was a, well, it was probably a Honda, correct? Yeah. It, it, well, yeah, it would, it, unless it was super late, it would have been a Honda. Um, and, and it I probably would have been really difficult for anybody normal height to ride because <laughs> I had lower seat and taller foot pegs and all these things uh, at the time modified on my bike. I, uh, I was going to, this is this, I was going to say this because is how tall are you? Uh, like five, six, five, six and a half, something like that. Pretty short. Right. Right. So I remember in, and I probably have ridden more different factory bikes and racer bikes and stuff than a lot of guys, just cause that's what we like to do. And I mean, I, my thing was, I wasn't going to say your bike was good or bad cause it's, it's your bike. It's good right, for you. Right. right. And I remember riding your bike and, and I remember it being quite horrible for me yeah, and I'm, sure. I'm at, I'm at five ten, yep. just because of the stuff you said, but I'm like, this guy has a setup and this is, this works for you know, for, and I think your, I think even your power, I think the way that the, I think the bike had a big hit. Is that, yeah, sound? that's, that's definitely what I would have wanted for sure. <laughs> and I yep. hate that. And it was, you it know was, what? For so, me, it was, un, it was uncontrollable. So right, I, I was, right. I was, un, I was out of, I was out of balance or out of sync on the motorcycle because it's putting me in a weird spot. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it just had a, had a big hit of power. And <laughs> yep. it was like, like, well, and, and great. all that stuff was, uh, strategic on my part, right? And it was just from years of knowing, strengths and weaknesses and trying to, uh, lessen the weaknesses and, and heighten my strengths, right. Highlight the attributes that I did have. Uh, you know, for me, 
I was shorter, of course, which we talked about. So I was always trying to gain clearance between the seat and my butt, right? Because you get out of shape, the seat hits you in the butt and bad things happen from there always, right? (laughs) That's the catalyst for bad things happening. So I was always trying to create that clearance without giving away too much as far as cornering. That was always the challenge is I wanted the rear really low, but then that makes it that much harder to corner. Um, so yeah. I was always battling clamps and, and, uh, races and all that stuff to, to try to find a happy medium there. But then in my riding style, I was never very good at carrying momentum through corners. Um, I was much more of a point and shoot, but I was strong enough and I, I worked really hard so I could handle a lot of power. Like the, the power wouldn't wear me out. Um, yeah. so I knew that I struggled with momentum. So when it was time to go, when I got into a corner <laughs> and it was time to go, it was time to go. Like I needed yeah. the bike to get up and get out of the way, uh, because it was never going to happen where I was just going to stand up beautifully through a rut. That was just never going to happen for me. So you're, you're, you're not the Kenny rocks and stuff. No, <laughs> right. no. And, and I would love to have been able to ride that way. And I could have adjusted right. my bike accordingly, but it just comes down to, okay, well, this is how I ride well. And especially when you get in the heat of the moment in a race you're going to do what's instinctual and habitual for you. And yeah. I knew that's, that's just the way I ride. So I better do everything I can to make that style work. Um, so yeah, I, you know, a, a few other media outlets rode my bikes over the years too, and they all hated them. And, and for good reason, I, I totally understand it yeah. because if I rode a bike that was built for someone like five, 10, six foot, like uh, Michael, a Burn, normal, normal person. No, yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> totally. Um, I hated it. Right. It felt like I was riding a giant motorcycle that I couldn't really control, you know, where my bike, I was kind of one with it. If I got onto this other motorcycle, I felt like I was kind of, it was riding me and it was just way too big and I didn't have control over it. So, um, yeah, it's just one of those things, just like you said, it wasn't built to be an all around motorcycle. You know, it wasn't built to be a production. Yeah. Purpose. Absolutely. It was built to be from, for me and for me only. And just really quickly, one other thing I would say on that, I remember being at uh, the Atlanta Supercross and I want to say it was around 2003. Um, It was right before Ernesto Fonseca got on the the Honda 450. He was still on a Honda two-stroke 250. And I remember looking at his motorcycle and it was the smallest adult motorcycle I'd ever seen. (laughs) And they had taken every step to make this because we were about the same height. And he made that they made this thing so tiny. It was like a, a souped up mini cycle, but subframe cut, right? Yeah, everything, yeah. foot peg, you know, yeah. low, uh, uh, spacer in the shock, subframe, foot pegs higher, seat cut out. I mean, just everything you could possibly, every trick you possibly had. But for him, now it felt built for him. It didn't feel like the motorcycle was too big. He could ride it to its potential. And I remember just staring at this motorcycle, wanting it so badly because I knew. I knew how lethal it would be for me, how great it would be on that level. Um, but it, yeah, it I think it wasn't just that it was a works bike. It was, it was the works bike that you, for me, it was like, it was custom built for me. Right. It, yeah. it was, uh, I mean, it was the greatest bike I'd ever seen. And that was, I, if, if you had just taken the average Joe and looked at it, they probably wouldn't have noticed, but I immediately saw how small it was. I was like, look at it, look at that. Look at this, look at that. And like, I was like, man, those are all, all things like the way they had done them. They were all Sano, you know, the, yeah subframe was like purpose built. It wasn't like cut, you know, and all the, they had everything just dialed, like foot pegs were custom built that height. And it was just awesome. Yeah. It was, it was like, it's like, well, you're in good company. I mean, the other, the other bikes that I really hated with McGrath's uh, steel frame, super cross bike. Oh yeah. That yeah. was, that was, that was horrible for me. Uh, it's lar- Probably insanely stiff, right? Could, yeah, it was mostly the power delivery, but okay, yeah, it was okay. stiff. And then, and then, and then I rode Chad Reed's, I, I want to, I think it was a YZ 250. 
I got to ride Reed and Villeman and someone else. No, you know what? It was maybe it was his Yamaha Troy bike, but that had the stiffest front end I've ever experienced. Yeah, I, and it was just it just didn't move. Yeah, I was fortunate <laughs> enough to ride all of Chad's bikes at some point. And uh, yeah, I mean, that same thing with James Stewart. Their their setup was the same where yeah. the front end was it was like a BMX front end. There was <laughs> no movement. But for them, they always said that's how they had the confidence to go so fast is that you just stick it into something and anything right and yeah. no matter how far they jump no matter how hard they hit something the front wouldn't compress and send yeah. them over the front right? That, right that was their biggest fear is i'm going to push this to the limit but if the front compresses too hard i'm going right over the bars so yeah. they were they and, were always and, fighting against that and you watch how james crashed every time exactly right <laughs> yep. and you, so you see why he was fearful of it right he was already yeah. he was still doing it with that setup <laughs> they couldn't make it stiff enough but anyways yeah interesting I, I like i said i remember i remember riding your race bike back in the day and i always you know i always really enjoyed doing that because i got to feel see different setup techniques and it made it was made it easier for me to understand why you know people would want something or, or to be able to suggest or say hey you should yeah. you know when you're a smaller guy look at this or a taller guy look at that and and luckily my for my size and weight and everything i was right around where the stock stuff was and for my speed it all worked but it doesn't work at your guys's level it was a different game i don't think i would be a good candidate for production testing so if anybody's <laughs> looking to hire me for that i don't think that would i don't think i'm a good fit for that <laughs> right on. well hey thanks for coming on and uh, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch out in the future see you okay guys see you